Well, this morning is part of our Out of the Shadows series. We're going to be looking at the book of Judges. The book of Judges, it's, it's a favorite book, especially for middle schoolers, especially for middle school boys, right? It's a book that's filled with, with action, adventure, with amazing heroes, with, with some really, really interesting characters, right? The Judges... Just to give you some perspective and, and, and where we land here in history, the, the judges were the leaders of Israel, and they led Israel from, from the death of Joshua until the kings came along, beginning with King Saul. And so in these decades, in these years, Israel follows a regular cycle with these judges that come up, right? So, so the nation of Israel in their newly promised land, right? They follow God and they're faithful to God and they live prosperous and free. Then over time in their prosperity, they forget about God. And as they forget about God then, then neighboring kingdoms rise up and begin to oppress them. Right, making life miserable for them. They walked away from God. Neighboring co- countries come, make life miserable for them. And, and in their misery, they finally remember God. And they remember God and they call out to God for help again in the midst of their suffering. And when they call out to God, God raises up a judge, a leader who will bring them back to follow God again. And in that following God again, they experience freedom and prosperity in their faithfulness to God. And they enjoy that until the cycle starts again. That's what the whole book of of Judges is about. It's going through this cycle again and again. And these stories of the judges and and how they they set people free and bring them back to God are spectacular. If you aren't familiar with the book, you need to read it sometime. Right? You have have one of the judges, Ehud. He's left-handed, which enables him to to sneak his sword into the the enemy king's throne room. And he he plunges his sword into the enemy king, Eglon, king of of Midian, so deeply that Midian's a little bit overweight. And the sword just just disappears inside his gut. And that story even has some bathroom humor. It's perfect for middle schoolers. You want to read it. Okay, it's really good. And then you have Gideon, who, who's going ri- to raise up a huge army to set the people free. And God says, your army's way too big. And he whittles that army down to 300, a tiny little group about our size here. And he defeats the whole army with just 300. You have Jephthah, who makes a foolish and unnecessary vow. His vow was, he's going into battle. God sent him into battle. He said, you know what? If you let me win, God, whatever greets me first when I come back home, I will offer as a sacrifice to you. Certain that as he walks up the street from victory, uh, maybe his donkey or a sheep is going to come. It's his daughter who comes. And he sacrifices his daughter. You You have Samson. Samson, who can forget the strong man with the long hair who's, who's taken down by a cute girl before he takes down the roof of a temple on his enemies, right? The book is great reading. And if you read it, you're going to find other judges that, that aren't the big names, that don't often get the spotlight, including the only female judge in the whole history of the judges. Her name is Deborah. Now turn with me to her story, Judges chapter 4, page 192 in the Bibles you have in front of you. 
There we find Deborah. We're going to bring her out of the shadows this morning and place her center stage spotlight. And first of all, we should notice that the simple fact of having a female judge is stunning enough, right? Remember, this is a patriarchal society that we're living in here, where men held all the power, all the prestige, all the honor. And now here in this society, God chooses Deborah. He chooses to give all of that power, all of that prestige, all of that honor to a woman. And then he teaches us throughout history through her. Okay, in Judges chapter 4, the first person we're introduced to in this story is the enemy. The enemy of Israel, the commander of the Canaanite army named Sisera. Look at the first three verses. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we're starting at the top of that cycle, just moving over to the right, right? They're doing evil now. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Haroshath Hagomi, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly opposed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Okay, pause there for just a moment before we read on. So there's Sisera. Sisera is the latest tyrant in the cycle, and he's an especially, an especially bad one. Okay, I told you that he was the first name we're introduced to. Just a little side note, you may wonder why I ignored Jabin, king of Hazor, who's mentioned in verse 2, right? We're told that he's ruling out of Hazor. I skipped over him because, for you history buffs here, Jabin's already dead. Okay, it's interesting. The city of Hazor is only a mound of rubble at this point. This is the way that the Old Testament writers often did it and what, what Sisera was doing. See, he was trying to restore the kingdom of Jabin in the city of Hazor. Joshua had defeated Jabin, had destroyed Hazor when he came in and set and brought the people into the promised land. And now Sisera, this Canaanite leader, is trying to reverse all that Joshua had done. So he's trying to restore the kingdom of Jabin, even though Jabin is dead. He's trying to restore the, the, the city of Hazor, even though Hazor has been destroyed. And he's doing a really good job with it. Right? He's pretty successful in reversing these losses. For 20 years, Sisera has been cruelly opposing the people of Israel, and there was no end in sight. Those, those 900 chariots of iron that are noted there, along with the 1,800 horses that go with it, that is very significant to note. In that era, that is power beyond belief. Okay, use of iron was a brand new development. The people of Israel weren't going to get iron chariots until the time of Solomon. They're decades away from that. And so the people of Israel here are exactly right to be afraid. These chariots that would have two horses in front, a driver drive it, and an archer were a formidable foe. It, it would be like, it'd be like today, foot soldiers walking in against a tank. You don't do it. It's slaughter. So for 20 years, Sisera's cruelty has stolen the life and stolen the hope from the people of Israel. Until until the people of Israel 
following the cycle, cry out to God for help. And from out of the shadows, God brings a woman to center stage. On the scene steps Deborah, judge and leader of Israel. We meet her in verses four and five. Listen to those verses. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lepidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went to her to have their disputes decided. Pause there. Because there's a detail in those verses that my guess is went right past you without you noticing. But we need to stop and note. Okay, there's a detail here that's a big deal. You see, in verse 4, Deborah is identified as a prophet. She is a prophet and a judge. That is significant. That puts her in very rare company to be both a prophet and a judge. There's only one other person in the Old Testament who has that. It's Samuel. He's the only other one who's a prophet and a judge. Okay, so now you're probably saying, so what? What's the big deal about being a prophet and a judge? We aren't very familiar with those terms. We don't know exactly what that even means, and we miss its significance. Can we talk a bit about that? A prophet. A prophet is someone who is specifically chosen to discern God's will and then speak for God. Right? And the most important thing that a prophet does is listen. My guess is he would have said speak. But the most important thing a prophet does, first of all, is listen. They listen carefully to God so that they can then speak the words of God and give the direction of God. Right? Throughout his story, God has set apart specific people who listen to him and then speak his words, speak his wisdom to his people. Deborah was one of those people. She was a prophet who listened to God and then spoke for God. Okay? She was also a judge. Judges were people who led by doing God's will. They did. If the most important thing that a prophet did was listen, the most important thing that a judge did was act. Right? They, they do something. They put a sword into a king's gut. They lead 300 soldiers into battle against a huge army. They, they kill lions with their bare hands and pull down temple pylons for the building to collapse. Prophets listen and speak. Judges act. And here we're told Deborah is both of those. And look at how these roles play out in her story. Pick it up again, verses 6 and 7. It says, she, Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali. And she said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River. And I will give him into your hands. Here she is being prophet, right? 
She's being prophet, doing what prophets do. She has listened carefully to God. She has discerned his direction and his will. And so she can boldly and clearly speak to Barak. And she can tell him exactly what he needs to do. She tells him how many men to take. Take 10,000 men with you. She tells him where to go. Go to Mount Tabor. She tells him what will happen. If you go there, I will bring Sisera there, and there will be a huge battle. And you know what? I'm going to give you victory, God says. God's prophet speaks God's word, gives God's direction after listening carefully to him. You'd think Barak would say, okay, let's go. He's not convinced. God tells him his purpose, reveals his specific plan, gives him his assurance and his promise, and Barak is filled with fear, filled with doubt. Look at his response in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. What? What a contrast. If you were here last week, remember the, the two midwives in Egypt who were called before Pharaoh for letting the Hebrew boys live? And what did they do? They boldly walked into the, the courtroom of Pharaoh, recognizing that they could die, but they boldly stood for God, and off they went, these two women standing before Pharaoh. And here's Barak, military commander, leader of the army. Well, I don't know. If you hold my hand, I'll go. Deborah, will you hold my hand? And Deborah, the judge, rises up and acts. Verses 9 and 10. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. And Deborah also went with him. Deborah, the judge, a woman, walks with Barak into battle. And I'm going to let you finish reading the rest of the story on your own to see once what God does. I can see many of you have already read ahead. You're already reading right now, which is just fine. Go for it. That's fine. The rest of you, maybe read it after lunch today. Read it as a family. You'll want to read the story because it's spectacular. If you're in middle school, you'll want to encourage your parents to read the story. All right? God leads his people. And it leaves us then with the so what question for all we've been talking about so far. Is this just a really cool story? You'll have to read the coolness later. So what? So Deborah is both prophet and judge. That may be interesting information, but so what, Tony? What does it matter to me, Tony Meyer, thousands of years later? What does it matter to you today? There is a significant so what for us here today to learn from Deborah. Because here for us in the New Testament era, those of us living here in the New Covenant, in the Jesus era, we have been called to embody the various Old Testament callings and roles together, just like Deborah did. What was unusual for her, being both a prophet and a judge, that should be normal for you 
and for me today. It's how Jesus now has called us to live. So if you're filling out your outline today, on your next blank, I want you to write your name. Write your name in that next blank, just like mine is up there, write yours. Because it is you who should be living as a prophet and a judge. This story of Deborah begs the question of each one of us here today. The question is, am I both listening carefully to God and also then acting on what I hear? Let me ask that question again because I think it's the most important question here this morning. Am I both listening very carefully to God and then also acting on what I hear him say? You see, you and I, first of all, we need to be prophets. And that might sound overwhelming. Like, like none of us is really worthy to be a prophet like Samuel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. Who am I to stand with them, right? It's a high, high calling and yes, it is. But it's also a very practical and down to earth calling that you and I, each one of us needs to be developing and engaging in daily. Because remember what a prophet is. A prophet is somebody who clearly discerns God's will. And even that may sound foreboding to many of us. How do you discern God's will? But remember, discerning God's will is simply learning how to listen carefully to him. Prophets listen more than they speak. You and I need to be listening. And just how do regular people like you and me listen? How do we hear God's will? How do we discern God's direction for our lives? I'll tell you, most often it doesn't, it doesn't entail a mystical experience of hearing a whisper in the darkness in the middle of the night. It doesn't usually entail uh, words supernaturally written in clouds in the sky. God is speaking to people who will listen. He's speaking to us in clear and understandable ways if we will choose to hear. How? How is he doing that? Well, let me tell you this morning quickly, four ways that we hear God and listen to God, four ways that we listen like a prophet. And I'll tell you up front, I'll touch on all of them quickly. Each one could be a sermon in its own. So there's a lot to be unpacked here that I'm not gonna unpack this morning but I'm gonna start us down the path. First of all, God is speaking to you. He's speaking to me through his word, through the Bible. And I know that for most of us who have lived with this book, maybe all of our lives, it's probably not the most exciting place to start. But if your reaction when the first point was that God is speaking through the Bible, if your reaction was less than enthusiastic, then maybe it's time to have a biblical reawakening in our lives, in my life, in your life. Because on the pages of this book, God not only tells some wonderful stories, but God reveals his truth. God reveals himself. He gives through the words of this book 
true direction for living. He helps us understand how to live our lives as we were designed to live, as he created us to live. And, and he gives really practical direction. He gives direction for marriage, how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife. He gives insights into how to parent well. He tells us in this book how, how to best choose a career, how to best choose a major when you're going to college, when he talks about your spiritual gifts and how he's designed you. He talks about how to be a good employee, how to be a good boss. He gives financial direction. He, he gives wisdom on, on our interpersonal relationships with each other, how to learn to respect and honor and forgive each other while being patient and gracious and honest and loving. It's all here in this book. So if you want to hear God speak, open the book. And, th and then God applies these words, these directions, specifically to, specifically to our individual situations through the conversation we have with him in prayer. Right, when we, when we are honestly asking God to reveal his will, to give us direction for living, and then when we listen carefully for his direction, the Holy Spirit applies the words we read in this book to our own lives and our own situations. He applies the wisdom of God to the parenting challenge that we're facing. He applies the wisdom and direction of God to the uncertainty in your job. He applies the wisdom and direction of God to the stress points in your marriage, to your financial decisions and choices, to all of life. When we learn to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, applying the words of Scripture to our lives, we can discern. We can discern God's direction in our specific life situations. It doesn't mean sometimes he won't give you options to choose from. Sometimes he'll say, Here's multiple good options. You choose. I'll bless you either way. Even that's discerning God. We can know his direction. Okay? God then confirms that message. He's given in his word. He's spoken through his spirit. He confirms it through circumstances in your life all around you. Right? If you're wrestling with, with your job and there's no new job opportunities, maybe that's God saying, I want you right here. I'm not done with you in this job. If God does give you a new job opportunity, maybe he's saying, you know what, you're not using your spiritual gifts the way that I intended. I've got more for you. What is the circumstance saying? Right? And, an unexpected cancellation on the weekend and then you hear on the radio about a, a marriage conference on a Saturday, maybe that's God saying, hey, these circumstances are telling you you've been praying for direction. I've been giving you direction on your marriage. Here it is. Follow it. Go. Be there. You're unexpectedly given a raise. You could look at that simply from your own perspective and say, oh, cool, new boat, new car, new whatever you wish, another trip. Maybe you look at it from God's perspective. What is God asking for you? What does Scripture say? What is the Holy Spirit saying? Maybe it's an opportunity for you to reevaluate re your giving priorities instead of just buying what you wish. I don't know. But as circumstances come before you to say, what is God saying here? What perspective do, does he see this with? What, how does this confirm what I read, what I've been reading here and hearing the Holy Spirit do? And finally, 
God confirms his message to you as you've been listening, discerning. God confirms that message through trusted people all around you. God doesn't usually speak in a vacuum. He can if he wishes, but he doesn't usually speak in a vacuum. When you have discerned God's direction, when you think you've heard the Holy Spirit and say, yes, the Spirit is asking me to do this. God's asking me to take this new job, to give this money, to whatever it is. First of all, go and share what you've heard from God with some spiritually trusted people in your life with your small group or that trusted mentor or friend. And God will either through them confirm what you've heard or maybe redirect what you've heard in a healthy way. You see, God speaks through community. He speaks through your spiritual family, through trusted spiritual friends, because they take what you've heard, they hold it up to the truths of scripture as they're reading it. They hold it up to wider circumstances as they're experiencing it. And they make sure that you are truly hearing God and not being deceived by your own wishful thinking because we can deceive ourselves. Be wary. Be wary of bold prophetic declarations that are discerned only through a private conversation with God without the affirmation and confirmation of others around because God speaks his direction through community. You know, you and I, as common as we might feel, you and I can and must do the deep listening work of a prophet. We are prophets. And when we do that deep listening work, we can be confident then that we have discerned God's direction. Just like Deborah. Right, Deborah spoke to Barak confidently. She could tell him, here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to go. You need to go into battle, even though you're outnumbered and outmatched. She had no hesitations because she listened carefully and intently to God. And that's why she could then also go on and be an effective judge why she could lead God's people well. See, you know what Barak did? Barak's fear challenged Deborah to put her money where her mouth was, right? Prove it. Basically, that's what he said to her. He looked at her and said, prove it. I want you to prove that this is God's will. I want you to prove that this is God's direction by going with me. If you don't dare go, then I'm not gonna go either. She didn't hesitate. Her first word afterwards, you know, he says, will you go with me? Certainly. Word of confidence and boldness. I can just see her stepping up off her chair and say, let's go. Let's go right now. I have no doubts. You see, doing the prophetic work of listening well first then empowers her to lead well, to do God's will, to act on what she heard. And that's the way it works for you and for me. When you and I, first of all, do the prophetic work of listening well, then we can confidently act, always with a dose of humility, always with a dose, dose of faith and trust. But we can act confidently, knowing we are following God's will. In fact, not only can we act confidently, we must act confidently. 
when we hear God's voice, we must. We must move. We must put actions behind our words. When we hear God clearly, to not act is the sin. Here in Judges 4, God brings Deborah into the spotlight for a moment. As both prophet and judge, one who listens carefully to discern God's leading, and then one who goes and does it. And that pattern is what makes her story so special. And that pattern is what will lead each one of us, each one of us sitting here this morning, out of the shadows where maybe we are comfortably hiding and into the spotlight that God has designed and planned for each one of us. And that spotlight purpose for you might be for an extended time on a grand stage and maybe it's just for a moment. Maybe it's just for a moment to make a difference in one person's life. To make a difference in one neighborhood or, or one office or one classroom with one student in one situation where he calls you. I don't know. However God wants to use you, don't miss it. Make sure you're listening carefully and then daring to act just like Deborah. Would you pray with me? Father God, in this world that's so filled with noise, in our lives that we fill with busyness, we don't have time to stop and listen. We make excuses of why we can't read your book, why we can't sit quietly and listen for your spirit's conviction and moving. And we confess that often that's just an excuse because honestly, we don't really want to act. We want to do life the way we are choosing to do life. We want to spend our money the way we spend, want to spend our money. We want to go where we want to go and do what we want to do. And if we listen, we might actually hear you. And if we hear you, we might actually have to obey. Convict us, Father. Remind us that you want nothing but what's best for us. You want to restore order into our chaos. And you want to use us for truly meaningful purposes. To accomplish things that really do matter. That matter not just for a moment, but matter for eternity. And so I pray, Father, for each one of us here in this room that you would give us the courage to be prophet and judge. Give us the courage to listen so that we might have the courage to act. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.